The New Level Cap Podcast is a show about fun, friends, game design, and all things otherwise. Your hosts are Marco DeSantos and Brad Talton of Level 99 Games. I'm Chris Solis, your producer, and without further ado, please enjoy the show. Fastball. Oh, I got hit. I'm sorry. Ah, okay. Let me try another one. Curveball. Oh, that's easy. Speed 8. Wait a minute. What? We're not at range 1. Doesn't matter. Speed 8 is way above curve. Ah, okay, fine. Okay, fine. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the new Level Cap Podcast, where I, your host, Marco DeSantos, try to talk about all things Level 99 games, game design, or otherwise. I usually bring on a very special friend every episode, and that very special friend is oftentimes one and only D. Brad Taplin Jr. However, for this episode, I have another very special friend, the one, the only... D, a.k.a. Tyrankin, or Daniel Zeiger for short. Yes, or Daniel the Awesome for short, based on my last, um, based on our last gameplay video of Mole Knight versus Propeller Knight. That was a fun game. Oh, it was. Oh, it was. All right, so in case this intro didn't spoil it, or maybe you didn't read the title, or maybe you didn't see the thumbnail at the start of this video, if you have somehow missed all of these things, the topic for this week will be the speed curve, hence that weird intro about fastballs and curveballs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to spoil something for everyone. It's that the person who originally came up with this term and the person who kind of made a guide about it uh, is actually on this call right now. Can you believe that? Wait, he is? Yeah. Um, is it you? No, it's not. It's you, Daniel. Well, that's only half true, actually. Okay. So, so I, I didn't come up with the name. Oh, who came up with the name? I honestly don't know. It was being used in playtesting when I started playtesting. Oh, it's a mysterious relic that exceeds past. It's a mysterious relic exceeds past. But yes, Daniel himself is one of the people who uh, wrote the extensive guide to the speed curve. And it is a design concept that's been very prevalent in exceeds design in general. Um, A lot of things either adhere to or don't adhere to the speed curve. And that often dictates certain properties of the move. So before we get into the nitty gritty, let's start off with the basics. Daniel, what the heck? is a speed curve. Uh, speed curve is just a series of numbers um, that are related to your current range. So in exceed, you're always standing a certain distance away from your opponent. So you're going to be at range 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, you know, somewhere in that neighborhood. And the speed curve is range 1, speed 7, range 2, speed 6, range 3, speed 5, range 4, speed 4. So it is a relationship between your range and a speed value. Okay, and the mathematical formula for that is 8 minus your current range. Mm-hmm. I guess the real question here is, why, how did this relationship come about? Like, like, what makes these numbers these numbers? Why are these numbers the way they are? Well, um, part of that was trial and error. So I wasn't involved in the development of Season 1 of Exceed, but I was involved in the aftermath. Uh, I got to play it, I got to play against it an awful lot, I cut my teeth on it. So... Um, I got to see what happened when we didn't really know how to design with a speed curve in mind. Uh, because in Season 1, it was still very much an nascent concept. It was something that I'm not sure was ever known explicitly in design. Because like I said, I wasn't involved in design at that point. Um, mm-hmm. But if you look at the cards that came out, you could reasonably guess that it probably wasn't. Um, at least for the most yeah. part. I mean, we always know fast is good. Slow means you need defenses because it's not very safe to be slow. Um, but season one had a lot of stuff that, uh, warps the speed curve in weird ways. And then 
After that, it became an established concept among the player base. Um, I don't know who coined the term, but it could easily have been uh, Andrel, uh, one of the other mini Daniels, and the uh, Plagueis the yes, first Daniel. season two. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, as of season two, we had the concept well in mind. It was established among players. It was known among the design staff, uh, and we were able to design with that concept in mind. Yeah, uh, and overall, it actually points back to the normals. Uh, if you kind of look at the normals and what normals hit at what ranges, the speed curve is actually just a modeling of whatever the fastest normal is at those specific ranges. At range 1, the fastest normal is grasp, so the speed curve for range 1 is 7. Uh, range 2, it's cross, so it's 6. At range 3, it's assault, so it's 5. At range 4, it's dive, so it's 4. Mm -hmm. So, if you start looking at it via the perspective of normals, you can easily understand uh, why the curve, or rather, the normals essentially dictate a lot of what Exceed is like, because they technically dictate a lot of the kinds of moves you'll be expecting at those ranges, right? At range 1, expect fast pokes. At range 2, expect um, a fast getaway, so on and so forth. And the normals kind of dictate the specific stat numbers things are. And many times, moves get compared to normals uh you say you know this move is good at range one because it's faster than grasp right like a move that's range one power three speed nine would be amazing mm -hmm. because it easily beats out grasp and the ex grasp right mm -hmm. so with that in mind uh you could say that all the normals are on curve things that tend to be better than normals are above curve and things that are worse than normals are below curve Right when we talk about the speed curve. So if you're at range 1 and your move only hits at range 1, but has a speed of, say, 9, what would that be, Daniel? That would be 2 points of a curve. Right. And if it was only speed 1, with no defenses, what would it be? Uh, hilariously under curve. Yes. By a total of 6 points, it better have a really good effect, right? Mm -hmm. Alright. So this is the concept of the speed curve, Daniel. Um, it essentially is a guideline like can you expand more about that how is this actually useful for an exceed player to know like big whoop i know that grasp is the fastest thing at range one how is that useful to me uh the speed curve defines the three categories of attacks in exceed basically so exceed can be thought of as an extremely elaborate game of rock paper scissors where you're managing a lot of different rocks and papers and scissors over time um and trying to set them up to be used when your opponent doesn't have the corresponding option in their hand and yes, you... because discards are a thing yeah they very much are uh, and resource management is a huge part of Exceed, which is not normally an issue in Rock, Paper, Scissors. But purely in terms of the combat and strikes in Exceed, if you look at it as Rock, Paper, Scissors, there are three kinds of attacks. There are fast attacks. These are attacks which are uh, equal to or greater than the curve, right? So they're, they're on or above curve, uh, as we say. So grasp, cross, assault, or at range four, dive. Mm -hmm. uh, so 7, 6, 5, right? So those are the speeds, and if they go at ranges 1, 2, 3, and 4, uh, if you count items. Yes. So those are fast attacks. That They are generally going to go first if you initiate. They are faster than probably anything your opponent has. It's very important to know if your opponent has a uh, special or an ultra that they have available that is above curve, because if they do, suddenly you can't guarantee these attacks. But yes. if they don't, you go, oh, all right, I have an on-curve attack. My opponent doesn't have any curve-breaking nonsense. Cool. I'm going to hit. And if you know you're going to yes. hit, that gives you a lot of power. Oh, it does. Definitely. Uh, definitely an exceed because 
um, there's a certain promise in Exceed where if you're at a certain range and you're faster, you know your attack's gonna hit. Exactly. People don't have any start of eat movement like in Battlecon, so you can't slip out of the way. Uh, they yes. can have tricky dodge effects, but those are rare. They're limited to a few characters, and generally you Often can Often costly. Them. Yeah, they're, they're usually ultras. Yeah. Uh, okay, so that's the first kind. What's yeah. the second kind? Second kind are the really slow attacks. Uh, so these are more than two points under a curve, even at their maximum ranges. And in these, the, the range isn't actually all that important because they're just never going to be fast. So uh, Sweep is a range 1 to 3 attack at speed 2. So at range 1, that's 5 points under curve. At range 2, that's 4 points under curve. At range 3, that's 3 points under curve. You can boost plus 2 speed. You can EX it. You can do both. It's still not going to be above curve. It is an incredibly slow attack. Uh, likewise, Focus. Printed range of 1 and 2. Speed is 1. Same kind of story here. It's even slower than Sweep. It's just never, ever going to be above curve. Yep. And, of course, Block. Uh, which is considered an attack, even though it doesn't hit the opponent. Uh, it has speed of 0. I don't care what you do to this card. It's never going to be on or above curve. So I mean, Not that it matters since it doesn't hit. <laughs> right. And it doesn't matter too much for the other ones either, because the point of playing a slow attack is they have strong defenses. Uh, these actually beat faster attacks, even though they get hit first, by trading with them. So anyone yep. who's played Grasp into Sweep at range 1 or Grasp into Focus knows this is one of the classic exchanges, where Grasp gets a hit, does some damage, but loses the turn. Because it eats a ton of damage in return, uh, and in Sweep's case, it makes you discard a card. In Focus's case, the opponent gets to draw a card. So Grasp yep. trades down in a huge way against both of those. It's very unsafe, even though you went first and you hit. Yep. Uh, assaults at range 3 is speed 5. It jumps in, it hits, and it also trades down against Sweep. Although this one's a bit more situational. Because sometimes getting the extra turn really might be worth 2 life in a card. Uh, but you're dealing four, you're taking six, and you're burning a card at random. So it is very punishing, and usually Assault is considered to have lost the trade. Yep. Uh, it's On a, average, yes. Yeah. And same story into Focus. You're coming in, you're dealing only two damage, because Focus has two armor, and then you're eating four damage, and the opponent draws a card. So it's your turn, but they still have the same number of options in hand. Uh, into Block, you're probably not dealing any damage, uh, if the opponent sides spin force, or you're dealing some damage that they allow you to deal which means that they don't care, so they're clearly winning the exchange here. They also get gauge, yep. even though they didn't hit you. The only advantage of hitting block is that maybe your opponent had spent some resources, but maybe not. Maybe so not. These all, like, trivially beat faster attacks. Oh, a special note. Uh, cross, at range 1, is faster than all the slow things, and at 2, is on curve, and it's faster than almost everything. But cross has an after-retreat 3 effect. So, it will... Tap block for a little bit of damage. It's got three power. Block has two armor by default, so it'll deal one. It'll tap focus for a little bit of damage. Same story. Deals one. It'll tap sweep for three damage, dealing full damage. And then it retreats three. Which means it actually doesn't get hit back. Um, this yep. makes cross unique in all the normal interactions that we can talk about. Because cross is the only normal which, uh, when played on curve, doesn't lose anything. Um, the yes, catch but it. it's also mm -hmm. the... So the, the negative of cross is that it's also the one normal that is um, supremely reliant on board positioning to make sure that it interacts properly. Because if cross does not interact properly, then it is essentially, for all intents and purposes, just a worse grasp. So Right. So cross um, at range 2 or greater is supremely safe. But if it doesn't have room to retreat all three spaces, then it can lose to sweep. It can 
potentially lose to Focus, it could actually lose to Spike, uh, which would be in a third category coming up. Losing to Spike, even when you play a faster attack, is very unusual among the interactions, so it makes Cross extremely reliant on board position. Yep. Uh, Cross is also, for many characters, positioning negative, but that's another conversation. Uh, yeah. Okay, so what's the last kind of attack? The last kind of attack are the mid-speeds. So these are in the middle, as you might guess. Uh, these are only one or two points below curve at max range. Uh, they are cut out to destroy slow attacks. So uh, Spike is the archetype of mid-speed, right? So it's range 2 to 3. It doesn't hit at range 1. No. Uh, it has speed 3, which means at range 3, it's 2 points under curve. At range 2, it's 3 points under curve. And it says, ignore armor and guard. Which means if you connect, their nice, safe, defensive, sweep, focus, and block all get obliterated. And do nothing. Yep. And they're sad. And they take five damage. And you take five and they damage. don't get gauge. And you don't get gauge. And yeah. Yeah. Your opponent cries. So it, if there's anything I've realized, it's that um, the mid speeds tend to have the most payout, right? Like they. Mm-hmm. That is like absolutely true. High speeds deal three, low speeds deal six, but take three. So essentially you dealt the three. Uh, but mid speeds deal like five or six and then take nothing back. So. Right. Mid speeds have the, have the highest payout in terms of delta because they don't trade like you either lose completely or you win super hard uh whereas slow things trade and fast things often also trade uh, it's possible for a fast thing to just win outright like cross it's possible for a slow thing to win outright but it doesn't generally happen uh and a mid speed either wins outright or gets completely destroyed so uh yeah when they go off they're super punishing um, oh heck yeah! Yeah, the I, other one that we want to talk about is dive. Right? I was about to say so, I need to make a note about dive here. So dive like cross has some weird properties. Um, dive at range four is speed four. It's on curve. You advance three, you hit them. It's got five power, so it actually has a decent amount of damage uh, for an on curve attack. Normally, on curve attacks will deal approximately two or three damage. This one does five. Good damage. Uh, and then you get hit back because the opponent probably played a sweep or a focus, right? So, yep. you know, fast attack, loses the trade to a slow attack, not maybe as hard as others. At range 3, dive is only speed 4. That puts it 1 point under curve, because at range 3, the, the curve is speed 5. So, dive at range 3 loses to assaults, which is the on-curve defense. But it jumps over sweep and focus, meaning they can't hit it back. So dive wins the trade for free, deals 3 damage to focus, deals 5 damage to sweep, and it can't get hit back. That makes it a mid-speed. So dive, depending on your, on your current range, is either faster or mid-speed. Uh, the yes. same thing happens less dramatically to Assault. Um, so Assault at range 3 is fast. At range 1 or 2, it is a mid-speed that still loses to slow attacks, making it a bad mid-speed. It's like, Assault is extremely useful because you get the next turn, and that can be the most important thing that you can possibly have in certain situations. As a Zangief main, I can confirm. Right. Um, but it's fundamentally the least safe of the normals because it just is never safe against slower attacks and it's never more than on curve. Yeah. I mean, usually when people play Assault, they're playing it to get into melee range, then take the next turn in melee range. Um, exactly. The damage or the interaction that happens within that turn often is secondary to being in melee and starting the next turn on your advantage. Exactly. Um so overall, this is the rock-paper-scissors correlation between all of our normals, right? Fast mm-hmm. attacks, lose to slow attacks, slow attacks, lose to mid-speeds, and mid-speeds 
generally lose to fast attacks. Uh, there are some exceptions, like with cross against spike, depending on the range, etc., etc. Uh, but this is commonly the thought of thing. And the speed curve basically dictates why all of these work. Um, fast attacks are on or above curve, slow attacks are below curve and therefore need defenses, and then mid speeds are on or below curve, maybe one point below curve, or maybe even two points below curve, uh, but they have the hugest payouts. So they tend, the risk is often worth it. But at the end of the day, speed curve therefore becomes a very important thing you have to recognize because a lot of card design and exceed kind of falls into one of these three categories that we've put out. Your attack is either an above curve speedy, a below curve slowy, or a mid mid speed um, high risk high reward payout. Mm-hmm. And they all kind of function because of the speed curve. And essentially, the speed curve serves as some sort of template for making cards, right? Because if you want the card to say hit that ranges one to three, then it basically has to look the same as an assault uh, in terms of its speed at the very least, right? If you want it to be a fast attack, then yes. So with that in mind, and now that we've inaugurated you into the school of the speed curve, uh, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to talk about how this has influenced a lot of the design that we had for all of our cards. Uh, Especially when you're making your own custom characters, or when we make our own official characters for Exceed itself. So, Daniel, take us to the break. Uh, okay. Let's go to the break, Marco. All right. This way. Ooh! Halloween is coming up, and we're carving some deals just for you! We've picked three of our spookiest games that are guaranteed to kill this Halloween and bundled them together. They include I Can't Even With These Monsters, Witch Hunt, and Noir. What's even better is that this deal is 20% off, but that's only until the end of Halloween, so order now and have a fantastic evening! <laughs> Marco, I'm launching a preemptive attack. Oh no, you're two points faster than I expect you to be. Uh, sweep? And I set an EX attack. Oh, I sweep? Uh, well, that, that's unfortunate. Uh, so I played a spike, because with plus Uh-oh. two speed, spike is above curve at range three. When you and it's an it. EX. So plus three speed, sorry, I should have said that. Oh... Well, this is all because you gave me the wrong math. This is your fault, actually. I said two cards. You could have looked. Sadly, I'm not a character who cheats. I can't just, like, look at your cards. Well, they're on the table right in front of me. Okay, fine. You know what, Daniel? How about this? How about we just keep talking about how the speed curve affects the design? And I think you just gave us a really good example. Um, what's preemptive strike? And uh, why is it a good boost? Preemptive strike, aka preemptive attack. It's appeared two places with slightly different names. Uh, is a boost that is on uh, offhand's two kits. Might be a couple others. It's a boost that says, plus two speed, now strike. Meaning you are striking immediately and you have plus two speed. Uh, it's an ultra boost in Guile's kit. It's an ultra boost in Lucia's kit. In both cases, it costs one force. Uh, and suddenly that means, hey, plus two makes my undercurve spike into on-curve at three. Or my undercurve dive into above curve at range 3 so it can make my mid speeds actually nearly guaranteed yes because they they are now they now have the properties of a mid speed but now no longer lose 
to the fast attacks that they usually should lose to. Mm-hmm. Therefore, making preemptive strike or preemptive attack uh, one of the best boosts ever. And that's just a small window into the kinds of designs for card effects that we have in the game. Mm-hmm. Because preemptive strike is not, and I absolutely mean, not like light. It might look like light by giving you plus two speed, but it functions fundamentally differently from light. So, uh, I have a question for you, Marco. Yes. There are two versions of the card that I named, or the boost that I named, rather. Preemptive attack, right? One is on Lucia, one is on Guile. They both have a one force cost, they're on an ultra, and they say plus two speed, now strike. Which one is better? Between the two of them? Mm-hmm. Hmm. So they're both on an ultra. They both have the same effect. They both have the same cost. They just have different names. Right. And they're on different characters. Uh, they're on different characters. That's fair. Uh... Who is it better on? I believe it's better on Guile, because Guile's kit is comprised of a bunch of mid-speed attacks that pay out really hard if they work. Uh, and Lucia's already fast, right? Like, all of Lucia's attacks are already on or above curve, so it's kind of it's kind of not as useful as you'd expect it to be. Yep, that's exactly right. Uh, that's something I wanted to point out very specifically, which is that the value of speed and the value of power change based on your kit shape. So someone like Guile, uh, we joke that his kid is made of spikes, because Guile essentially has a bunch of mid-speeds and one fast attack. The point here is that certain card effects, right, can exist and exceed simply because they mess with the relationship of the speed curve by either turning one attack from one kind of attack into another kind of attack, or making it so that one kind of attack no longer loses to its natural counters, mm-hmm. right? And that's why we want to talk about uh, preemptive attack, preemptive strike, and how it relates to Guile's kit. And why it's not so useful on Lucia's kit, because all of Lucia's cards are already speed 6 to 7, so who cares, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. Um, so, yeah. the characters who have faster cards uh, can more likely confirm hits, right? Like, they're, they're, if they're faster relative to the curve, that means they're probably going to actually hit. Um, Lucia has a perfect example of this. She has a card called Ride the Lightning. It's speed 8, and it hits at ranges 1 to 5. So, this card is insanely fast. It's essentially guaranteed. It, if, yep. if she initiates with it, it just doesn't ever not hit. So, it will go off. That means that Lucia actually gets a lot of value out of power boosts. Because power converts to damage at a very consistent rate. Because she knows that she'll hit. Whereas, if you play someone like uh, Joffrey from Season 2, he has uh, nothing above curve. And he has only one on-curve attack. All of his stuff is slow. And it's not very reliable unless he knows exactly what his opponent's playing. Which means that if he gets a, you know, plus three power boost, it might not matter because he just won't connect. It's not as scary, right? Right. It's not. It's literally less valuable on him. By the same token, Sagat uh, is very fast and he has solid defensive moves as well. So he has a plus four speed boost, but it only matters a couple times because generally if he wants to be faster than you, he's just going to be faster than you. Plus four speed doesn't actually change that. It only changes one interaction very significantly, which is it uh, it allows him to play a range one dive at speed eight. So he can be guaranteed to get out of the other range. Um, but Sagat doesn't get access to a lot of power boosts because he can very reliably convert power into damage. Yes. So a character like Guile, whose kid is made up of mid speeds, gains incredible value from speed boosts because they turn his mid speeds into just guaranteed hits that destroy everything. Characters with fast attacks get most value of power boosts, 
and characters with slow attacks, uh, they actually get the most value out of movement. They get the most value out of movement slash range boosts because mm-hmm. it effectively negates a lot of the things that make their attacks not work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because the the problem with slow effects is that your opponent gets to do their activation before you, and most of the time that doesn't matter. But if the opponent say has a movement effect or has an effect that makes it so that you miss, etc., 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 that's how the slow moves tend to get outplayed. So the slow moves want the ability to reposition themselves, want the ability to get extra range so that they can hit those things. Because, look, I don't care if your cross crosses out if my sweep has 1 to 6 range, right? Mm -hmm. So at that point in time, that's where you gain the most benefit. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, um, this speed curve thing, or at least the the rock-paper-scissors-ish relationship between them, kind of dictates the certain kinds of effects that characters value a lot. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly, and this is used as, as part of a desi- or this is part of the design principle that the speed curve ties into to help us assess what does a character need and what do they deserve. Sagat does not deserve a boost that says plus four power. Almost nobody does, because almost everybody can use the normal boosts to go. Oh, I'll play light. I have plus two speed, and now I can guarantee a hit one time. So if you give somebody this incredibly huge power boost, they'll they'll land it. They'll just find the right time to land it. So one thing I really want to point out is that we know the kinds of effects that characters might want, uh, but how do we make cards for characters to begin with, Daniel? So say I'm starting with a totally blank character. I want to make, let's say, uh, an aggressive melee-based rushdown character. How does the speed curve help me do that? Well, if you want to make an aggressive character, then you go, this character should be incentivized to initiate strikes which means you're probably going to give them fast attacks that are on curve. Uh, Attacks that are above curve, actually often, they'll make characters aggressive, but above curve attacks, a player will instinctively reserve for defense, because if it's above curve, you know that you can use it on defense, and it'll still be faster than the opponent throws. So if you give them something on curve, they feel like, oh, I have to initiate to guarantee that this works. Uh, Also, without defenses, you know that the player just won't feel comfortable using it on defense unless they're trying to evade a mid-speed. Sounds about right. So if they're a melee rushdown character, you're going to give them on-curve moves. Uh, you're usually going to favor moves in the uh, 1 to 3 range, which is just about everybody. But specifically range 3. Uh, that might sound weird, because you want to make a melee character, right? Like, shouldn't you make everything range 1? But range 3 is where one of the core mix one of the core mix-ups of exceeds chambers, which is called uh, Assault versus Spike, right? So, Assaults. Uh, trades down against Sweep and Focus, and Spike destroys them. And Assault yep. moves you to range 1. So if you give a character stuff that is scary at 3, and also stuff that works really well at 1, then your opponent will be nervous about, well, are you planning on assaulting in? And you're, then you're going to follow up with your big scary range 1 move. Or are you going to play your Spike? And the more things you give them in their kit that emulate one of those two options, the more nervous people are about which one you're going to throw. And when you do get to range 1, what kind of mix-up do you need to use to make to be scary? So a character who is terrifying at range one, I'll, I'll quote a friend of mine, a man from Norway, he's a long-standing playtester. He, he once pulled out a card and said, a character who's terrifying at range one will always have a card that's shaped like this. And the card he pulled out was called Swanky Elbow. It belongs in Carl Swanky's kit. He's uh, he's the robot character from Penny Arcade's Automata. Uh, yep. It is a range one attack that is printed... Uh, power 4, speed 4, guard 4. But the text on it says, ignore armor and guard. This 
actually breaks one of the fundamental interactions of the normals, because at range 1, uh, spike doesn't hit, and dive doesn't hit, so focus and sweep and block are all completely safe. Like, even if the opponent plays cross, it's like, well, you know, whatever, I took 3 damage, or if you play focus, less, or block, and, you know, maybe you take 1, maybe you see nothing. Like, yeah, it's fine, they're all safe. But a character who is really tired of playing at range 1 can crush those moves. Uh, Carl has swing elbow, ignores armor and guard. Uh, Zangief, uh, spinning pile driver. Range 1, printed power, I believe, 5, speed 4. Ignore armor yes. and guard, and hit the opponent, must discard a card at random. So on top of stunning uh, block, focus, and sweep, it's even more punishing. And then uh, Rimless has ground zero, uh, which is range one, printed power four, uh, with hit if the opponent's at range one, plus three power, uh, printed speed of three. Now she's Rimless, so that's usually actually power five, speed four. It's an four. EX. Yeah. yeah. Just like Zingief, it's not really power five, speed four, it's power six, speed five, right? Um, yep. Because you're just going to crit it, and there you go. But there you uh, go. But Rimless deals 8 damage. That actually stuns Focus. That's a huge breakpoint. So anybody who can stun Focus at range 1 is terrifying at range 1. And that will comprise half of your mix-up. Uh, the way you answer all of those attacks is the same. You play Cross. Sometimes you can play Grasp. Uh, basically, you play you play a fast thing when the opponent initiates to cover the mid-speeds that are super, super scary. Right? Yep. But then you get whacked if the opponent plays something fast. So... All Zinkif has to do is play Critical Grasp or Critical Assault sometimes. Uh, critical Assault covers Cross. Critical Grasp covers uh, both Grasp and Cross. Yep. And you are trying to evade SPD, but it was Grasp all along. And most importantly, you just spent your answer to SPD. Sorry, SPD is spinning Pile Driver. Yes. And he's still a spinning so Pile Driver. Now, <laughs> and now I still have Spinning Pile Driver, and now you're going to have to eat it. So uh, mm-hmm. good luck, bud. Um, and overall, that's that's essentially... So now we've kind of talked about how to make an aggressive range 1 character with a really good range 1 mix-up and some mid-speed options. But all of these kind of fall back to the speed curve. Mm-hmm. So, why is the mix-up at range 1 scary? Because Zangief has an option that is above curve, which is uh, his grasp that's critted or his atomic suplex that's critted, right? Just grasp. Uh, sorry, on or above curve. Ah, thanks. Then he has an undercurve mid-speed that totally crushes the slow options. So that's your spinning pile drivers, your ground zeroses, your swangy elbowses, right? Mm-hmm. And that comprises a mix-up. But again, this sounds like a highfalutin, high, high, high-tier concept, but it all really just falls back on the speed curve. Um, mm-hmm. You're scared of this because it's faster. You're scared of that because it beats your slow stuff right? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the mid-speeds all lose to the fast stuff, and sometimes to your other mid-speed stuff, depending on the speeds. Um, but overall, this entire character was brought about simply by figuring out how certain things in the speed curve and the ensuing rock-paper-scissors dynamic work, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So we've gone over Zangief um, and other, like, aggressive melee characters. Uh, let's give some. Let's give people something else so that they can try to apply this uh, more. Let's talk about some uh, a jack of all trades character like Ryu. What if I wanted a character who could just kind of do a little bit of everything? Well, what Ryu does is he makes the he makes the assault spike mix up live at range two in a very strange way. So he has the fast versus the the slow. Sorry, fast versus mid speed uh, on his end of it, right? Uh, and he can yeah. do it even if he's defending. 
And then at range 3, he has that mix-up fly, but he also has a curve breaker, uh, a speed 6 attack at range 3. And at range 4, he has the same curve breaker, uh, and he has uh, just a regular Tatsu if he feels like just doing some extra damage. But generally, at range 4+, there's no reason not to throw Hado. The opponent has to have a Hadouken. The opponent has to have a specific answer to beat it. But at range three, not a lot of characters do. Yeah. Quick note: not a lot of characters do. Yeah. At range three, he has like one above curve option, and then the standard mix-up. At range two, he runs the standard mix-up with more options than anyone. And then at range one, he still runs that mix-up mix-up because he has Shoryuken, which is speed seven on defense. So you you can't play a, a mid speed safely, or at least not a typical mid speed. He has yep. one inch punch which destroys uh, block and trades... Sorry, destroys block, destroys sweep, and trades positively with focus. And if you EX it, it just beats focus too. Right. Because whatever. <laughs> if you EX it, it loses to none of the slow stuff. Uh, it's speed 4, so it's still... And it doesn't have any uh, range on it, so it still loses to the fast stuff. It still loses to grasp and cross. But like he has... So you know what speed. this is all saying to me? Mm-hmm. Is that it seems like this jack-of-all-trades character seems to be able to threaten some sort of mix-up based on the speed curve at nearly any range. Um, exactly. The The other significant factor is that Ryu's cards don't chamber at wide ranges. They chamber at relatively narrow ones. So at range... So Shoryu's only range 1 or 2, right? Hadouken's only range 3+, plus, and 1-inch Punch is only range 1, and Donkey Kong is, Donkey is only Don- range... Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong. Donkey Kick is only range 1 and 2. Um... Man, Donkey Kong and Exceed confirmed. <laughs> uh, I've seen that custom character actually. Uh, oh, somebody, somebody right. made that custom. But yeah, so it's like so. So he has options at all ranges, but he doesn't have any options that are good at every range. He he doesn't have an attack that says before close three. So so this this tends to be a thing, right? Like Ryu has a lot of options that kind of work at specific ranges, such that he has an option at every range. But the big problem becomes like if he loses them, he he loses a big part of his mix-up, right? Because right. essentially what happens is if you lose all copies of your Shoryu, you lose your range 2 mix-up, essentially, right? Uh, if you lose all copies of your Hadouken, range 3 is not as good as it used to be. Exactly. You never let the second copy drop of your big threats. Like, you never want to have both Metsu Shoryus out. You never want to have both Shoryus out. You never want to have both Hados out. If you're a character like Ryu. Uh, so at the end of the day, these kinds of characters all occupy a really weird thing where... Um, it's not just whether or not you have those options. It's about whether or not you have a certain amount of those options. Because mm-hmm. Selinka without her copies of Wishing Ward is fine because she could just do sweeps and other things that work just as good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when Ryu runs out of Hadoukens or runs out of Shoryukens, it matters a lot because now you're not scared to do anything into Ryu because he just plays the usual mix-up. And that's not really that terrifying. Right, yeah. Aggressive characters, pressure characters, they value redundancy very highly. They want to have something that'll work to replace any given option in their kit. This is why uh, C. Viper, who's probably the most aggressive character in Street Fighter, probably the most ex- maybe even the most aggressive character in the game, uh, we joke that her deck is full of assaults. Like, she has speed 5 attacks at range 2 and 3, a speed 5 attack at range 2, uh, a speed 4 attack at longer range, and then one of Ultras is speed 5. Like, she's generally just on curve. Um, and that's fine because that means she's always going to have a thing that works. Like she's always going to have a thing that's on curve that she can actually swing with. So she values redundancy really highly. But toolkit characters who are more about answers, uh, like uh, like Kami, Ryu. like Vega, like Ryu, they they really care about having at least one copy of any given answer, any given threat live. 
Like, once Kimmy drops both copies of Spiral Arrow, she's a lot less threatening. Once she drops both copies of CQC, she's a million times less threatening. Oh my gosh, never drop both copies of CQC unless it kills the opponent. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. No, don't do it. It's just not worth it. But yeah, overall, see, again, we're getting into a really deep dive into these characters, but what does it all go back to, Daniel? Like, why does Ryu care about these mix-ups? Why does he care about having specific tools? It's all because... It's all because of the speed curve. It's because the normals ground the entire game of Exceed in a, in a certain set of strategic interactions. Character specials are built with those in mind. So you, you look at your specials and how they interact with normals, and you'll start naturally valuing cards different ways based on what they do for you in the normals dynamic. The speed curve kind of dictates every single interaction in Exceed, and those interactions are the rock-paper-scissors thing that we talked about earlier. So overall, a good understanding of speed curve not only lets you play Exceed better, it also lets you understand how we make cards for Exceed. And as much as I would love to keep talking more about Exceed Strategy with Daniel, we have to end this episode of the podcast. Aw, that's fitting. We could talk about this forever. Yeah, we could talk about this forever, but my mix-up is ending it now. This is an above-curve option at speed 10 at range 1, so you can't can't do much about it. Well, I can wild swing. That's what I should do, because if the answer's not in my hand, it's in my deck. Ah, absolutely true. So, let me wild swing. Thank you so much for listening to, uh, what does this say? This episode of the New Level Cap Podcast. If you liked it, share it with a friend. If you hate it, share it with an enemy. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, please put us in the comment section down below, and we'll try to answer it for you. Again, we really want this to be a discussion. How has the speed curve affected you? Have you noticed the speed curve in your own Exceed gameplay? Or have you made your own custom characters that did make use of the speed curve? How about custom characters that didn't? Did they end up being successful? Tell us in the comment section down below. Are there any things you'd like to ask our audience, Daniel? Nothing in particular. Uh, I'd love to hear people's favorite examples of curve breakers if they've played the game a while and started to really remember those attacks that ignore the speed curve for one reason or another. Uh, Tidal Whirl! (laughs) Alright, so without much else to say, as usual, it's been me, your host, Marco DeSantos, also known as Mechanic Critic, and with me has been the magnanimous, magnificent, marvelous... Tyrankin, aka D, or Daniel Zagger for short. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Don't forget to change cards, and thank you, World of Exceed. Thank you, and good night. Happy gaming. The new Level Cap podcast is produced by Level 99 Games. Join us next Wednesday for more design talk and shenanigans. Thank you for listening.